that's literally what I'm doing is where can I make a true impact? Not the like, I take a brick and throw it against a wall and boom, impact. Like, where can I actually impact individuals, um, communities, and globally? Oh my gosh, Academics Mean Business community, guess what? We have a Facebook group. Ah, so exciting. Uh, In this community that we just created, we're just going to be hashing out the latest episodes, you know, interacting with some of my guests, talking about the issues that are plaguing us in both academia and in building a business, and really just building that community uh, of people that are like you. (laughs) So I cannot wait to engage with, with you over there. So really quickly, just head on over and search Academics Mean Business, the community, and the Facebook group will come up. We will also put a link in the show notes. All right. So without further ado, next episode is following this. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. My guest today is McKenna Held. I look up to McKenna as a business leader in this industry. She was one of the first women business coaches that I really connected with that um, I loved what she was saying online. I loved how she was handling her Facebook group. And I've really just been a fan of her for the last two years. And so it was such an honor to have her um, as a guest because you know, when I started kind of talking about the fact that I was this professor and that I had this graduate degree or several graduate degrees, uh, she was always right there with me being like, yes, I used to teach, um, you know, that kind of thing. And so early on, our relationship was really built around some of those common interests, you know, particularly talking about critical pedagogy and critical theory and how it's showing up in entrepreneurship. So this is a friendly interview because we know each other. Uh, McKenna also happens to be hilarious. Uh, and she's been doing this a while and has had many businesses online, offline, um, and is one of those women that you just realize like, man, that's how you make decisions and live life and take risks. She started a record company. She's she purchased Julia Child's house in France. Uh, she, you know, yeah, has an online business, was teaching for a while, is working on her PhD. I mean, she is doing it all and she's just a fascinating human being. I think there's a lot to gain from this interview because, you know, she has done so many different types of businesses and uh, is just so savvy when it comes to really breaking the mold and disrupt in disrupting industries. And we talk a little bit about that. So if you're looking for a, just a smart, innovative uh, business professor, ex, ex-professor, at least at the moment, she's not teaching right now, uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. So go ahead and tune in and let me know what you think as well in our new Facebook group. Yay. All right. This is happening. I officially have McKenna held on, <laughs> on the wire for academics being business. It's really happening. It's really, well, you know, we've been, we've been friends for a while. We've been around each other a while and we're like, I'm like, dude, I cannot wait to have you on. Um, and so it's happening. That's, and that's always a good thing. It's happening. Yeah. When, Yay! when two friends can make their calendars align, that's always a good thing. This is true. This is true. All right, McKenna. Well, um, you know how it's done on Academics Mean Business. I want to hear your academic background. I want to hear about, yeah, your love for knowledge, that seeking that you're doing. You're currently in a PhD program. Um, You know, tell us a little bit about, give us the brief history of McKenna 
and knowledge and institutions, if you want. That, that'll be the start. <sighs> institutions. I, <love> <laughs> I thought I would, I would open with that, but um, yeah, I think it'll be... <laughs> I think I would make it sound more like that. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, I went to Smith College where I studied esoteric Tibetan philosophy. Excuse me as I adjust my nerd glasses. Um, <laughs> and then I ran off to New York City to study private sector development, which was this kind of weird development economics meets MBA program at NYU's Global Studies School. And then I as luck would have it, ended up in Macon, Georgia, where they like to hire adjuncts and lecturers <laughs> with only master's degrees and who also are doing real things in the world. At the time, I was running a nonprofit in Kenya. And between that and my master's degrees, I worked at every college in the city. Yeah. And while I was doing that, I also had this wild hair idea that I should get an MFA because I already have one master's degree. <laughs> Let's add a second one. And I did that for a while and decided that was a terrible idea. Uh, I figured, oh, well, an MFA is terminal. Well, it's mm -hmm. sort of terminal. Now that we have PhDs in creative writing, it's not as terminal as it used to be. Mm. And then I ran off to Texas and decided to start a PhD program in anthropology. Uh, realized that was a terrible mistake. Nothing and against anthropologists. I love my nothing sister. Nothing against anthropologists. <laughs> I, I love anthropology and I... It just wasn't for me. It's not where I wanted to be doing my research. And then I flitted around and thought about going and getting a degree in nursing because why not? And um, then now I'm in a PhD program at this really weird critical theory school in the Swiss Alps that is called the European Graduate School where I study with Judith Butler and Avatil Ronell and all these really cool big names and I can't decide if I love it or hate it. Mm. Surprise! <laughs> um, that may be yeah, the, the tagline for like academia. <laughs> of all my guests. Can't decide if I love it or hate yeah. it. <laughs> that's my theme. That's actually really good. So that's my institutional history. <laughs> um, it probably means I should be put in an institution. Let's be honest. Maybe. Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, Thirst for knowledge. I've always just been that person who wanted more and was way better when I wasn't self-directed. Mm. I'm not a great, which is weird because I'm an entrepreneur, I was just gonna, right? What? Like, <laughs> but I kind of like it. Actually, that makes a lot of sense ah, to me. I, I can be driven to make money. Uh, driven to like study one thing in deep detail is like not my jam. Mm. So being forced to sit and write papers because someone told me I have a deadline is actually really helpful. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I like to read. I read a lot when I'm, but I read a lot in like 10 books on like 10 different topics. Yeah. So I've always been, I was that kid who just loved seeking information. And I, as I got older, lost some of that drive and institutions kind of kept me on the quote unquote straight and narrow. <laughs> the path. Um, the path, the path to knowledge. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of how I ended up there um, and how I ended up following academia, but I just really loved teaching. That was what put me in, kept me in the institutions and the idea that, oh, I need a PhD to go to the next yeah. level of being a professor was mm -hmm. very key. Yeah. Part of the drive behind it. Yeah. Well, I love it. I feel like your brief history is great. I feel like the... <laughs> The, the table of contents of your life. That's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. So I, so with your, your varied background, um, I, my guests, Whatever if anything, yeah, my guests, if anything are driven, <laughs> 
and like to accomplish things. That's what I've noticed. Um, so I'm curious what, where kind of entrepreneurship fit in in that. So um, it sounds to me like you're, it was a little bit of a weaving process for you. Obvi- like my path is a little bit different, but like, yeah, where was this idea of, hey, I should start this side income because, you know, me and all these different institutions that, you know, maybe this isn't enough or what were your thoughts around starting a business uh, when you did? So if you can kind of bring us that entrepreneurship history would be cool too. Yeah. So I, after I had worked my way through the institutions of Macon, Georgia over the course of about two and a half years and had really kind of hit the pavement hard to build a reputation and to get my name out there, Mm -hmm. I finally got offered a full-time job at one of the institutions I was working at. And about 24 hours later, found out that I was, I was at the time married and I was um, married to someone in the military and we were getting restationed. And I went, oh my God, I just kicked my ass for two years. And here I am going to a new city where I have to find new jobs. And the idea of walking into a new institution to only Mm. do the same thing became really unappealing. Mm. So I realized, well, I'm teaching in a business school and I'm teaching business skills. And there's (laughs) this thing called online business. And I went, well, that's a way to take it with me. I can take my website and my laptop with me. So I kind of kept my uh, one foot in the academic door Uh by being in school, but I was no longer teaching. Mm. So I took the academic work I had been doing and parlayed it into doing business trainings online. That was what my first kind of thing was. And it worked and it paid the bills. And I went, oh, this is really interesting. Um, So yeah, I mean, it was a pretty quick move based out of necessity Mm. for being a military spouse. I didn't have the time and the idea of trying to rebuild again. Starting over or whatever. Yeah. 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 No. So it made sense. It was, you know, it was, it was a relatively simple decision. Mm-hmm. Teaching business, might as well teach business online. They asked me to teach online classes and showed me what they yeah. were going to pay me. I was like, no. Nope. No, no, no. <laughs> I can make more money marketing my own online business classes to yeah. have less students. Yeah. And that's kind of what clicked for me. The idea I was going to be teaching like uh, online classes of 30 to 40. Uh-huh. And I looked at what they were going to pay me. I'm like, I see all these online business classes coming through my newsfeed. And I can literally take 10 students for six weeks for the price that they were going to pay me. Yep. And that was a no-brainer business decision. As a business professor who worked in both business and economics, it, it made sense. Yeah. That's so, so I'd love to hear about maybe some of those first initial steps. You kind of brush over it. Like, I, I mean, I see how it's a part of your, your like circle, right? But, but also for like people who are listening and kind of like people that are either maybe just starting to hear of this idea of doing an online business, like what were kind of some of your first moves, um, you know, after being convinced that this obviously is clearly a smarter move, uh, what were some of the first kind of actions you took to really get that going? Like what's needed? What, what isn't needed? What can you skip over? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So I did things really weird. I, I was really active in a number of Facebook groups back when Facebook groups ruled the world Mm -hmm. long before business owners were using them. It Mm -hmm. was more that like people who taught holistic health classes were using them as a community element. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the the glut that we see now where every 
person and their mother has a Facebook group mm-hmm. and or is closing them now. Like it's kind of either one or the other at the moment. For those of you who are um, listening that have no idea, like um, uh, McKenna, actually maybe date us to what year this is as well. Um, Cause that might help too. 2012. 2012. <laughs> the year the world was supposed to end. Okay. So that, yeah. Right. So it's been a while. So, um, yeah. So we're kind of coming on the tail end of business of businesses using, um, Facebook groups as a, as a place to actually cultivate like, you know, clients and stuff. And not that that doesn't still happen. Uh, but that used to be wild and open territory and it was amazing. And I think you probably, you've built, you, I was a member. I was actually a member of your group. You were one of the groups I was active in early on in my business. Uh, things have changed a little bit. So that's what McKenna's referring to. Yeah. So it was called the bliss brigade and it had a thousand people in it. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the probably first handful of business teachers or business coaches utilizing Facebook groups as a free lead generation tool, meaning that like I found all of my clients from that group. Um, So that's how I started. I I had the crappiest website on the face of the earth that I built myself in early Squarespace, Squarespace One, like way back in the day when Squarespace was Not as cool as now. (laughs) (laughs) It's so fancy. You can drag and drop. Yeah. Parallax. Right. And there was all this cool functionality. But I literally have this very basic Squarespace site. And I talked about holistic living and basic business building, like really basic, basic. And um, that's that's what I did. And it's weird because I had a website. I had a mailing list, which I didn't email. Mm. And I had this Facebook group. And that's what that's that was your literally business. how I built my business. Mm-hmm. That was it. Mm-hmm. It was that simple. Yeah. It's not that simple anymore. <laughs> it's, it's way more complicated. <laughs> yeah, depending on the niche potentially. But yes, it's true. It is a, it is, it has gotten a little more complex and, um, I am, you know, trying to tap into my guests and, and, um, you know, and what they're currently using and what's working and, um, that kind of thing too, just to hear it from somebody who's done it. And McKenna, it, you know, compared to me is like old school grandma, not like, <laughs> Like she's been around on the online business space way longer than I have. So I look up to her. I mean, no, I mean, that. now this oh, is real. Well. Like I, I looked up to you and do look up to you as you run your business and, and these and these decisions you're making. Um, you know, I'm I'm following you and watching you. Right. So. Um, so I anyways, I just want that knowledge to come through for our listeners also oh, who are thanks. starting out. Yeah. Um, awesome. So. Um, I guess I'd like to hear maybe a little bit about what your current business looks like. So I know, so you brought the early stages. So McKenna, as her, as her academic background is varied, um, if you want to tell us a little bit about the path your business has taken, because I think one thing I want to communicate to people too is, you know, as your business, your business changes a lot and there's lots of pivots and decisions that you have to make. So I'd love to, to hear about your business life and like how you've made some of the decisions you've made. And I think, I think you're doing really cool stuff. Um, so if you could just share, you know, the evolution of McKenna's business, easy, no small feet. <laughs> totally. Um, business is totally different than being a tenured professor. Yes. And <laughs> holy monkey. It's like the exact opposite. Um, it's actually terrifying mm-hmm. how opposite it is because I think about what my life could have looked like if I had taken that full-time job mm-hmm. and gotten settled. It was at a great institution with a great package and 
uh, it's, but it's really interesting because now what I do is so wildly different than sitting, teaching the same classes every semester. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started out teaching holistic wellness classes, kind of like, and basic business building. And it was like, all my branding was like, build your bliss business, (laughs) have your blissness. It was, it was darling. (laughs) Making a really terrible face right now. (laughs) Um, and then I kind of, ditched all of the holistic living stuff Mm. and focused on being a business coach and a one-on-one business coach. That was my model. I charged $300 a month for a weekly session. Whoa. Let's talk about underpricing yourself. (laughs) As an academic, did any of that carry over? No. (laughs) I mean, it was still better money than I was making as a lecturer. True, right? Come on, I was thrilled. I mean, I, I was able to... um. I was able to make a solid, make a better living than I was as an academic doing that. I had a lot of clients, usually 20 yeah. to 30 yeah. at eight time. Um, wow, that's a lot to manage. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had, I actually had pretty good boundaries. I was surprised. I was very good at like, well, you just have to, right? Because you be, literally don't have enough time in the day. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't doing hardly any marketing except in my Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, decided that I needed to raise my prices and lower the amount of clients. And so I did that and moved into more premium pricing. And then I started teaching group courses. So you had like Mm -hmm. my group courses or my one-on-one business coaching. And my group courses were usually around $97 and they usually had about 40 to 50 people in them and they ran about six weeks. And then Mm -hmm. I had one-on-one clients at around 600 a month. Um, And then I pivoted to mostly doing one-on-one again and not running recurring courses and upped my rates a little bit more. I actually run a pretty um, middling price point still. And it's not really mm-hmm. about an undercharge. I, I like being accessible to people who mm-hmm. are making who are making good money, but want to make better money and also have, you know, mortgages and car payments. And I don't want them to have to then remortgage their house to afford me. Um, mm-hmm. And then I do pop-up courses. It's a really weird thing where I just kind of pop into, I still have a Facebook group. Um, I pop into my Facebook group. I don't talk to them hardly ever. I just pop in and go, hey, I have this course. It's four seventy nine. It's six weeks. And that usually pulls in 20 to 40 people. And so, and those are really low touch and a lot of fun. And they're frequently like betas for me to see if I want to turn it yeah. into something evergreen. Um, and now I have one-on-one coaching and two evergreen products that are in various stages and that's it um, for the coaching side. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I also have a record label and I own Julia Child's house in France and run a cooking (laughs) school out of it. And I do consulting for businesses who are looking to do give back campaigns Mm -hmm. to make sure they pick the right organizations and aren't supporting the type of things. I didn't know you did that. Why didn't I I know that you did that? Because I don't talk about it. That makes sense. People ask me about it and I just Yeah. And with your background in the NYU program, right? That that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of that's kind of what I'm up to these days. It's it's yes, I'm varied. True. Mm -hmm. It's been a weird road. And here I am sitting in a PhD program still. Yeah. So there's that. I have so much free time, guys. Trust me. So much free time. You're not the only guest. I, I Well, I feel like it's funny. 
Um, yeah, this is a common theme that the academic likes to have lots of projects running, right? And, um, you know, so I'm curious what you think, like some of those skill sets that you're using in your academic career or that got you, um, you know, the things that you wanted in that space as you were getting landing jobs or and teaching. Um, but also as you're like completing a program, um, you know, what would you consider as super helpful for being able to run a business? I think the most helpful thing is an academic's ability to conceptualize a course or a trajectory. And that's not true for all academics, mm. but for for a lot of academics, being able to imagine where your student is at the beginning and where they're trying to get yeah. at the end, that's a great skill set to have as an entrepreneur because most entrepreneurs view the like, ha you have one problem, we solve it this way. And that's very short-sighted mm -hmm. for the reality of most real yes. people. Yes. You're not just solving one yeah. problem. You're sol you might be marketing that you solve one problem, but you actually need to look at your customer journey, so to speak. Like where they're coming in. Mm -hmm. And that's true whether you're selling them a lamp or selling them a piece of furniture or selling them a course, a business product. It really doesn't matter. Like actually being that skill set of being able to look at a student at point A and seeing where you want them to be is a really unique skill set, um, mm -hmm. which I think is a lovely thing that many academics have access to. And that creates yeah. really solid understanding for your customer. The business skills can be harder, but those are teachable. But like that ability to yeah. see the whole journey and like look at that and imagine where your customer is going to be, even if it's just that you're selling them a soda. Like your hope is that mm -hmm. you still have that ability to see that. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't actually look at the journey. They look at point A and point B and ignore everything in between it. And so I th as like individualized products, like they're like that have an end or whatever. Yeah, I like yeah. that. So that's yeah. one of the skills I think that's really interesting. Another one that I think is really interesting is research. Mm. Being able to research well, it's amazing yeah. the amount of coaching I do from business owners who are in phases of growth where it's literally a lack of ability to do the research themselves. And they're asking me relatively basic questions like, which software should I use for this? I'm like, there's literally a Google and all it takes is like reading someone else's lived experience because I don't have experience with three different softwares mm, I've used two. Of course. And yeah. so that's another one that I think is really interesting. That ability to research Definitely. and to um, research effectively makes mm. managing a business so much easier because you can find the tools mm -hmm. you need quickly or mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. you need quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The research isn't just in tools for sure. Yep. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm engaged to a librarian and he's a much better researcher than me. And I pass him research projects and I'm a pretty good researcher. And I'm amazed at how quickly he can find things that I've been looking for for months. So Ooh. really solid research skills make being a business owner so much easier. I mean, he booleans mm -hmm. his Google. <laughs> like, I'm not even joking. He uses boolean search no. terms in his Googling. No. I'm always like, I knew that like... I try, I've done it like once or twice, but I don't do that regularly, but that's beautiful. Of course, it's really does. effective. <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> you should Who do knew? a course on that. Yeah. Oh, right? I mean, yeah, except that sounds like a terribly boring course. Maybe he could. Maybe I'll tell him. <laughs> he probably Boo could. for entrepreneurs. <laughs> Cut your search time in half by 
whatever, whatever. There you go. We just wrote the $97 and six lessons. How to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could come up with the pitch board, I'm sure. Easily, I'm sure. easily. I'm sure. Or a workshop. Maybe it's just a workshop. It doesn't have to be Maybe six lessons. Maybe it's just lessons. a workshop. That's Maybe true. it's just a workshop. Um, yes. Cool. So, um, yeah, I agree with, I agree with you. I think, um, like to add to the research piece or something about the research and then communicating that, right? So can we boil it down, you know, um, kind of collect, um, what I think is great too. And I, I, you know, love what you do this as you do this a lot as well. And I, Ooh, this is the conversation I want to have with you. Ooh. I, I just discovered it. So, um, you know, I see you as somebody who um, is it, it can can see what's kind of going on big picture in this space. Right. So we could, you know, in a couple of my past guests, we've talked about like the culture of entrepreneurship as as our little bubble is right now. Um, mm-hmm. This online space where people are exchanging services um, and we're kind of you know, selling to other business owners in many ways. And, and so that whole thing, and I've kind of described that. So I'd like to have your take on that. But another layer I see is I think an academic is really primed to be able to see a big picture and then kind of theorize and say, here's what's going on. And here's what this means, right here. If we don't like how this is going, here's how we can shift the direction. So, um, and I don't know that other people, and this is, part marketing, um, because you are, you know, if we could get into this and be like, it is positioning yourself in a certain way, the sociologist Mm -hmm. and me could, you know, talk about that. But like, it's more like, um, just seeing that trend, right? This trend and being able to situate it within what's going on and then what's possible. And so the conversation I'd like to have with you, I think, I think you're really primed to talk about this is, you know, this notion of thought leadership and that language, because that when I when I think about you and what you represent to me as someone who's followed you for a while, it's like, oh, McKenna's really pushing us. She's making she's she writes posts that are thoughtful because she's observing this happening and is able to kind of piece it and put it and situate it. So um Anyways, I know, like, for those of you who aren't in this space right now, um, you know, I am kind of doing some of this, like, conversation of, like, I'm already in this space. And so this is, like, you know, I'm knowledgeable of it. So I guess maybe let's start with your thoughts on, like, how you would describe what it's like to be in this, in this, in the culture. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about the thought leadership piece, because that is a skill set I see that our academics have, being able to situate knowledge, um, collect information, distill it, communicate it and and change direction and get people to go oh my gosh I never thought about it like that so yeah that was a lot I know (laughs) oh my gosh that was so much and I'm so excited this is great yes um (laughs) wow so yeah I think that the like the pattern seeking is a is a is an academic process yeah it's a it's how you write your dissertation you're looking for patterns and you're looking for ways to conceptualize of this tiny itty bitty thing Mm -hmm. that hundreds of people have written about and you're trying to find the patterns and create new ones. Yes, exactly. Create new ones, I think, is a is a key of this piece. So I love that. Well, and that's the whole thing, right? Like you, in your master's work, you talk about the stuff that's already been talked about really intelligently and you're in your PhD, you write a dissertation that's new mm-hmm. and it's literally just... Just a little just tweak. Just yeah. Sticking out, mm-hmm. just like pushing, just like, just sticking a chapstick in the edge of a balloon and being like, look at my dent yeah. in this huge field of knowledge. And it's like a pretty solid debt, but man, there's so much more to explore. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really 
great skill that academics bring to the table. And what I have found is that being in the online space and in, especially in the online business world mm-hmm. of business coaches, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, it's a pretty weird space it and it's pretty very different than academia, a, but lots of the same oppressive oh, yeah. structures happening, but like in a different way. So Hugely I'm sure oppressive yes, structures. We'll t- yeah. yeah. And so it's been really fun to be the pattern seeker in mm-hmm. business coaching. Yes. Like, People don't like me very much. I don't have a lot of fans um, in the business coaching world, except for the I don't who know hire that me. that's true, but maybe. <laughs> I mean, except for the people who hire yeah. me and who follow Which me. Which is all like, you need. <laughs> I, yeah, no, and I'm because yeah. I'm a shaker. Mm-hmm. I, I look at things and go, oh my God, we're literally charging people $65,000 to work with you for a year. You realize the CEO of Coca Cola doesn't even charge that because here's his hourly rate. Yeah. And I'm like, not that you necessarily want to work with the CEO no. of Coca Cola, but if you're going to work with someone who, runs one of the single best brands in the world rather than like a $10 million business, you can actually do that for cheaper. And so the fact that there's this huge disconnect. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the fun things I get to do is like find these patterns and go, whoa, do you realize how problematic Mm -hmm. this is? And this insider quote unquote knowledge that you're sharing is not insider at all. It's literally like five business books you've distilled (laughs) over the past 10 years. And And not even very well (laughs) because... You don't know how to do that. Yeah, no, no and but like, it's true. It's, it's different if you're actually providing a service mm. that comes with a deliverable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're just providing basically your brain, mm. it, renting a brain at that rate is really expensive. This is huge. Yeah, that's really important. You can rent a lot of brains for $25 by buying a hardcover book. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> there's just some things about yeah. it. And that's not to say that there isn't value in charging higher rates. I get it. But I love that's one of the things I've done a lot of pattern seeking on and like looking at how it continues oppression because people who either have to mortgage their house or already have to have money to get the tools and tips and tricks to bring them to the next level in a fast, efficient Mm -hmm, way. mm -hmm. Um, Because you can learn a lot of the things that are taught in these high end programs over years and years, or you can do it in one year. And that's great. But if you don't have access to that capital, it's going to take you 10 yeah. years. And so by then, the people who started at the same time as you have already grown so quickly and so huge compared to you, it, there's a huge, that creates a huge disparity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I talk a lot about that and I run around a lot of mm-hmm. that. So it's, it's a weird place to be in. It's a weird place to be pattern mm-hmm. seeking and to look at things. And one of the other things I do in my own business is there is this habitual problem of events being very white and very dude driven. Mm-hmm. And or all all dudes women all, driven yeah, yes or like but very mm-hmm. white or like tokenizing queer folks and people of color in a way it's like look at my one really prominent black woman on this other sea of white mm-hmm. faces and she happens to be like the most famous black woman of the moment like it's just very it's very problematic so i do a lot of work around um positioning voices of various backgrounds in events to kind of shake up the Uh noise. And also when you look at my events, it's like, at least the the speakers line up. I can't really control who comes in the door Mm -hmm. of the attendees, Mm -hmm. but I can control whose voices I'm centering. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of opportunities to do that in the online business world. Um, And that's something I work pretty actively on too, because I host one live event a year or so. And I try to really shift who's speaking it's not the same old same old suspects who all have been in the same masterminds Mm -hmm, together for years mm -hmm. and years yeah and so what what um mckenna is kind of speaking to is there's also 
Um, you know, maybe you could say it lines up with like academic conferences, but there's also these kind of conference circuits. I don't know if that's the right word, but there's many conferences happening at a, in a given month in business, in the business world. And, um, so the diversity of, you know, the representation that we have at these conferences, uh, not doing so hot in, in so many different ways. And, and what's, what I thought was interesting is like, at least what's very different about an academic conference is like, there's no pictures of anything, right? So you just get this like really that booklet of like who's speaking on what panels, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, um, but these spaces, like, it's like, it can be glaringly obvious because you have this like image and it's Glaring. got like 50 faces on it. And it's like, oh gosh. And people are just sharing it like, oh, this is so cool. I'm so excited to be a part of this. And it's just like, you just realize like, is anyone looking at what's happening in this, in this situation? Yeah. And then, and then it impacts who Mm -hmm. does walk in the door and who feels comfortable going to stuff like this and how they can, you know, and where, where they feel, you know, um, where, where they feel safe or accessible or welcome, I guess is probably a better word. So, Anyways, so I just wanted to point that out because I I think the skill set and like what academics bring to this space is that critique, right? That that awareness, like mm-hmm. that's kind of it's almost like built into what we do. And so that was something that I felt when I came into the scene too. It was like, whoa, there's weird things happening here and I could comment on it, but I didn't I didn't know that it was coming from the academic side of me, but that training is definitely part of it. Absolutely. So then the other piece I kind of want to talk to you about is this thought leadership stuff. So this is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And so there might be some listeners, you know, if you're in the academy, I don't, I don't think I heard that word when I was an academic, like thought leader. I don't know. Not really within the academy, but right. I, I heard it from talking about people who were adjacent to the academy, like Brene Brown. Okay, yeah. And so, and I think I think it's a relative new phenomenon. And I've talked, I had conversations with my husbands about it. So this is kind of one of the first times I've had like a public conversation about it. <laughs> I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Because my initial reaction, let me just situate it, I guess, is like, um, you know, academics, like it made me think of you saying like putting a dent in the like, it, like that's what we do. Like that's what research is. And that's why you know, arguably why we have PhD programs is to make sure we're constantly pushing knowledge, right? And we're we're poking holes in what currently exists. That's what it means to be a researcher, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so to me, I'm like, oh, they're kind of like the OG thought leaders in some way, right? Like, oh, totally. Yeah. And so then I start hearing people talking about in this online space and they're like thought leaders, like, and now this word is being attributed to people. And I'm, I'm I'm just curious, like, (laughs) and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what I'm necessarily asking, but I feel like it's a conversation that would be interesting to have with an academic. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, totally. Academics are the original thought leaders. They're constantly trying to find new ways of thinking. That's like, in old ways, like looking at old ways and find new ways. It's a very slow (laughs) process. And this notion of thought leadership, I, it's very interesting to me because it's like, oh, so-and-so is a thought leader. (laughs) And it's like, no, you're literally saying the same thing that everybody else is saying. That's that's the part I'm so confused about. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's pretty hard to be a thought leader when there's 500 other people just like you talking on the same topic. With the same thoughts. Um, With the same thoughts. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's really interesting because I, I think the desire to be original is so high. I yeah. think it's a human desire to be original. And it's, you know, I see that with the musicians I work with mm-hmm. um, on the record label. Mm-hmm. They're like, I really want to do something new. Yeah. I'm like, cool. And 
what does that look like? What's new anymore? And there's certain things where you actually hit a mark and you you hear something go, oh, that's new and fresh. But in general, you listen and it's like, oh, that sounds like so-and-so from such and such. And it's a constant desire to be new and original. But the reality is most of us aren't. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert, who arguably you could say is falls in the category, quote unquote, of thought leader. I that the people put her there. I don't I don't put her there, but she gets put there. Sorry if she ever hears this. I don't put you there, Elizabeth. Um, but she does talk about how original thoughts aren't really that original. Yes. Like she had that download yes. of the book a, and then yeah. someone else literally wrote the book yep. like five years yep. later and she's like, Whoa, I'm really not that original. And I think in a lot of ways, academics are used to being original because they're touching such a small ah, section. Because it's they're like trying to make that mm-hmm, one dent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to be original, otherwise you don't get your PhD. Yeah. yeah. Or and you have to be somewhat um, original even in your master's thesis. It doesn't have to be brand new thought, but it needs to have a new spin on yeah. it. And you need to be looking. Because otherwise you don't get into your PhD program, yeah. especially if you did them from separate schools, right? And so I think the thought leader word academics are kind of the original thought leaders, but they're doing, they're pushing a pebble (laughs) and this whole new idea of like thought leadership. It's really just tapping into the collective Mm -hmm. and speaking the collective, Mm -hmm. this big thought leadership. It's taking all of the wisdom and knowledge you've gained from reading all the books and getting all the coaches and doing all the things and then spewing it in a different way. But usually it just is the same. And that's, that's okay. And you can't really be a thought leader in an overarching category. You only can be in a thought leader in this big of a category. Mm. Hmm. She she put her fingers together like really close. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I realized I've, we're looking at each other and you can't no, see me. Radio. No. Amazing. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> I forget. Um. Yeah. I love that. Like. Okay. So that's really. I love the. So I just got off of another interview. I'm doing back to back podcast interviews, and we talked a lot about the academic ego. So now, we, now let's bring it in, right? Because like the original yeah. thought leaders, oh, they're really actually pushing a pebble, but they're they're like sitting on. And so some of the you know kind of the we talked a lot about the culture of of academic institutions. So we can we can obviously on entrepreneurship all day and marketing and um, those strategies and 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 stuff. And there's a lot of a lot of work to be done in this area so if anything Mm -hmm. uh i would love to flood this space with academics who can call this out so that i'll say that right that's part of my mission maybe um but there's a lot of space for us i guess i think what i'm trying to say is that this kind of thinking and this thing that comes pretty natural to us obviously we're trained it's not you know whatever but it's usable in this kind of space it's it's necessary to push um to challenge these marketing practices that are happening and uh the way business is being run in in many cases so i appreciate that that conversation. So the academic culture is a whole other ball of wax that we could yeah. we could talk about. It's not like one's figured it out better than the other. Um, but yeah, the idea nope. of like academic ego, right? Um, and um, how w- maybe how some of the things that academics struggle with doesn't really help in entrepreneurship. Does that make sense? So like, so what would be some stuff that is hard to do um, in business because you're an academic or have that background and um, have spent lots of your time in an institution and how that has impacted maybe how you um, operate in the business world? Overthinking. (laughs) (laughs) Waxing and waning about thought leadership when no one else... (laughs) Should I... Should I not? 
should I move this colon uh, from one place to the other? Dude, just get out the get yeah. the website out. Like, get out the email to your mm. mailing list. Like, it, it, you don't get a lot of time to synthesize mm. mm-hmm. um, on a daily basis. You can synthesize like long term projects and long term goals, yeah. but on a daily basis, there's mm. almost no synthesization. It's like it. It's like teaching a new course for the first time. You don't really get to synthesize. You're you're like have read the books. You kind of have a course outline, and the first time you're teaching it, you get up to lecture, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. and you just, you just have, have to, to perform. That that that's what that no no one likes that <laughs> moment really. The like I don't I've never talked about this intelligently before. Academics ah, don't like that go. moment. Plenty of people mm-hmm. do it all the time, but academics usually have a hard time with it. And the reality is that's what being every an entrepreneur day. is almost <laughs> <Yes>. every day. <laughs> Exactly. Like every single day you're in that if this is the first mm-hmm. time you've ever given this lecture on this book and you're in your new institution because you're just graduated from your PhD. Every day. It's like that. <laughs> every single never day. never thought about it like that. That's what it's totally like. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. People always ask me why I'm a great speaker. And I said, well, I went to a school. I, I taught at schools with only lightly engaged students. They just weren't that interested in being there. They were relatively, two of the institutions were relatively well-known and good institutions. They're just a lot, the student, like half the students are really passionate and half the students yeah, are just there because yeah. daddy made them go Yeah, because that's where daddy went and, or mom, um, depending on the school. And I had to make development economics and business communications and marketing mm-hmm. interesting. And it's admittedly, if you're not into yeah. it, it's not interesting. And so I had to stand up on stage, stand up and literally be on stage 15 hours a week. And the only way I could keep their attention was by being really rambunctious. And so I just channeled that energy into that. But like, that's a skill I've brought. But it's also something like that moment of every single time I go on a new stage, it's the same feeling of that new classroom at that new school with that new class. Like, that's how I am every single day in my business. And being able to do that, because I had new classes every semester, I think I got to teach two of them twice, more than once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I taught business communications, I think, six semesters in a row. So that was great. Um, and also got really boring, it turns out. Hmm. Um, but that ability to actually like, just get up and go was not something I had learned <laughs> in the academy. Surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tiring. I mean, so that, I mean, that's the other side of this too. Like, um, it's true. So, I mean, that, I, I think one of the first things, I love that you're connecting this because um, I'm having this aha moment of my own experience where when I, um, when I first started doing business and like just starting this side thing, I remember, um, I connected with my my academic or my dissertation chair and like a couple other um, graduate friends who went into the Amazon jungle together uh, when we were working on a project. And so we would always have this like pretty much a yearly reunion of that experience or connecting with each other. And I remember sitting at the table, first of all, super nervous that they were going to think I was you know, just ridiculous for starting a business. Like how could I abandon my work and um, all of that, which is not what they thought, or at least they didn't tell me or act like they thought that. Um, And then, but I remember kind of explaining to them and they're like, you, you seem really happy online. 
Um, and, and I said, you know, I'm like the my favorite part about teaching and my favorite part about the Academy, whatever, doing the work and being a professor is teaching, but it's literally the moments I'm in front of my students, the moments, the, the moments when I've created yes. that classroom space, all the other times outside of those doors. Um, I don't know. I, I was whatever it was, you know, I was doing what I had to do and it was fine. And, you know, and it wasn't even that bad. So I'm not even trying to explain it in that way. But I made the connection where I was like, I feel alive. I feel like I'm teaching and in front of my students every single day. And I said that like two years ago or about a year and a half ago. And um, you're the first person that reminded me of that. And um, it, there's something about there's adrenaline. There's also like constant fear, <laughs> like entrepreneurship, because you're doing stuff you've never done before every day. And constant. so learning how to manage that is different. But man, yeah. you know, you're alive and awake, like all the time, because you kind of have to be. Um, and that's how I felt when I was in a moment of teaching where it was like, not even when it was landing, even the moments that were super uncomfortable and scary, um, even the really boring ones watching a movie, whatever, like my that was like my space with my my students and there was something like energizing about it so anyways thank you <laughs> because uh, you're reminding me and now I'm like oh my gosh that's exactly what it is so those those that aliveness of like anything can happen in a lecture a student can ask anything you know the light bulbs going off that you get to see in the room like those are some of the greatest moments of teaching uh not that and the bad moments of tea and, and I want to also like acknowledge, you know, um, my dissertation was on emotions and teaching like the, the to teaching is so emotional. So like enter in entrepreneurship, there isn't so mm. much of a pattern that you can fall into, I think, um, that you're addressing like the pattern you can fall into in teaching is, oh, I've done this before. It can get a little stale, but the students are new. And the, you know, that kind of thing, there's, there's always something a little, mm -hmm. so I think, you know, as teachers, we're, we're used to that shuffle, I guess, of newness, but it comes almost like a freight train with entrepreneurship. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it is. Totally. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And I, I love it because everyone really wants to be there who buys my courses like when I do courses and I do teach online, which I still do on occasion, like people really want to be there. They really want it. They sought me out. They sought out the information yeah. and they're paying me for that. That's the other thing. There's, It's never like, oh, I heard it was an easy class or, oh, I need this because it's the closest thing I'm interested to meet my requirements to graduate. Like there's actually, you or know that they it want was it. a perfect day and time. So <laughs> right. that's why I'm here and it was open. Yeah. I like that it's yeah. at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays because exactly. I don't like waking up before exactly. 9.30. I mean, yeah, all of that. My whole shtick was I didn't like Monday and Friday classes. So I only went to school on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So there's that. There you go. <laughs> I, I really liked only being in class the time amount too. my last yeah. semester in undergrad. That's all I was in school and I was working full time. So yeah, totally. So I think what would be interesting to talk about with you seeing as you've had, um, You've started lots of different businesses. You know, I think that's interesting too. And that's something I'm starting to explore as I'm, you know, hearing diversify and all this stuff, right? So now I have to like worry about income and where it's coming from. So I'm curious if you have any, um, 
any any comparisons you want to make what it's like to be running you 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 know you fill events you have courses and coaching which is your kind of service and deliverable but you also run you know kind of like with the record label a little bit of a brick and mortar i actually have no idea how a record label runs so that, that's a whole other story um and then and then your um the cooking school like i'm just kind of curious like you know, what, and then as someone who's taught business, kind of what are some pros and cons or some of the obstacles that you've hit along, you know, starting those different types of businesses? Like, is there any kind of nuggets we can pull out of that? Um, since you have so much experience more than most of my other guests, like most of my other guests are kind of like in a field and they're doing like one specific type of business. So I'm, I'm, you know, curious to hear what you have to say kind of on different types of businesses and business models. Maybe that's a better word. Yeah. I mean, there's so many business models. Yeah. I, the interesting thing that you bring up about business models is that the record label is a really weird business model. We run antithesis to every other record label in the world. Oh, okay. Um, and I can't actually talk much about it okay. because it's secret. Okay. Um, until it's tested because we're not 100% sure if it'll work. Okay. Yeah, totally. We're not. Uh, I, I saw some problems in the record mm-hmm. industry and I saw some issues in the music industry. My fiance who's a librarian is also a musician and I was watching the exploitation of our friends and looking at the contracts and they're terrible and so that's one of the other fun things like being able to see those patterns and go I hope this is a problem I can see a different better one. yes yes um, and better for everyone involved really um and we know we don't we're not really brick and mortar we have an office okay but it's in one of our houses it's in my marketing officer's house um <clears throat> but you know, the interesting thing about like running multiple businesses is it's so different than being an academic mm. too. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of miss my singular focus. Mm. Um, my brain feels really tired a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. A lot but of decisions what I've noticed for is, sure. Like to yeah, make, yeah. It, it, decision fatigue is a real thing. Mm-hmm. But one of the most interesting things that I've noticed is I move into a higher level of my business and do less of the groundwork and I pass that groundwork off to other people. Mm-hmm. I'm getting more into the, I'm getting more into my academic brain, I'm literally just looking at the problems and seeing where I can fix them yeah. and seeing where they're inter- what's interesting to work on rather than like, I mm-hmm. have to do this now. I mean, I've, mm, I've been that's doing important. this. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've been doing this for a while, you know, but most of my businesses kind of run themselves. Um, but they still require me a lot of hours a week. So that's, that's the pro of diversification is if you're no longer playing inside of your business anymore, and you're kind of looking as the hawk in the sky, looking at everybody else running around. Um, I get to go back into that kind of analytical f- headspace that I really like, and then look for what the next opportunities are going to be. I'm constantly looking for like the next industry I should break into. Um, that's kind of how mu- music happened totally accidentally. I was realizing that a lot of bands can't afford to press their own vinyl. Ah, and I was so like, like the actual oh, production. I could totally, okay, yeah, I could actually pay the money to press vinyl and then take a cut of the profits. Vinyl can be charged a pretty penny. Mm-hmm. You can charge 20 to $25 and it only costs about $8 to press it. Mm. Once you get a high enough quantity, I was like, cool, I'll just forward them the money. I'll make a real good return on that money. And, um, I'll help them with their marketing strategy to make sure I get my money back. There, that's that was the literally risk, what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the original plan. And then, um, a friend said, why don't you start a record label? And I was like, well, that sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea. And then I went running off onto the internet going, research, <laughs> Google. Right. Yeah. 
push my glasses up and sit on my computer and you got a project for, uh, <laughs> and scan, scan and try to run the numbers and look. I mean, it was it was actually kind of what started the record label was just looking at those systems and trying to figure out what wasn't working mm-hmm. and find something that was more interesting mm-hmm. and a new angle and like an angle that hadn't been considered. And that's exactly what we're doing. Um, and, you know, with the cooking school, a lot of it was just a, this is clearly going to be profitable. Mm. I mean, it's attached to a famous chef. It's in a really beautiful place and it's proven very true. And it's proven to be a really great opportunity to not be behind a computer all the time. I actually have to talk to mm-hmm. people and engage. And I get to teach cooking and I get to do these things that I, and I get to manage a really great staff and do all of these things. And I have students that are also adults that I can have real conversations with that come from a very diverse background. It's very mm-hmm. fun. It's like having a new classroom mm-hmm. every week. There's also that anxiety, new classroom every week. Um, but I think in general, when you're looking at like, well, what type of business model should I pursue? I really suggest chasing the things you're interested mm-hmm. in and seeing where you can make a dent in yeah. that. So, and not necessarily looking for something that you might almost be interested in and then like you, that you see, but that you know has a market. I would actually look at what you're really interested in. If you really enjoy the research portions of academia and you prefer not to be in front of a classroom, but you're also no longer want to be in the academy. There are literally needs for people to do research for other people because they can't do it yes. themselves. I have opportunities. Please contact and me, actually. <laughs> I've been kidding. People are like, go. wait, you're talking to academics? I could use their market research, like the research skills for marketing. And I was like, that's actually a good point. I will get you connected. So hit me yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's true. And it doesn't have to be like what Lindsay and I, what the two yeah. of us do, right? Like you work in courses and course creations and funnels and I work in business strategy because I taught that sort of thing. You don't actually have to, it can be almost anything. It you really just have can. to kind of follow what you're interested mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and chase it. Mm-hmm. And the it's really like one of the things that I'm finding is that there's a market for almost anything. Mm-hmm. You just need to know how to market it and show people they want it or need it. Yeah, no, that and this is such good advice. And then I would say also like to add to it, this was important for me. It it, like go with where you're being like called and you're taking those steps and also know that it doesn't have to be the business and the answer for always and forever. So like that's the other part of it. So like, you know, the business will shift, your interests will shift, you'll, you'll start to get deeper and realize like, oh, actually, I'm helping with this or like, you'll kind of make these pivots. And like, as McKenna is even showing just with like her history of her, like, her business. um, It's like, you think you're starting out on this one path. And then you see it takes you down this whole other rabbit hole, just like research, right? So you're you have this end thing that you're studying. And then it's like, you're going a certain way. And then, oh, look, like this actually feels feels better. For me, uh, like I in my own journey, and maybe this is similar to you, you kind of start to realize, I think with which is what makes academia different than running a business. It's like you see the things you don't enjoy doing or um, that feel hard and resistance like it. it I had re- resistance as a as a doctoral student, right? Like, oh, shit, I don't want to write that paper. I don't want to read this book. And I pushed through it because my end goal was the thing I really wanted. Like I that was it. Like you just did it. Um, in business, you start to go, OK, what's my end goal? And it's going to be the thing that keeps you going. But you can actually go, you know, 
I actually don't want to do retreats. Like I don't have to, like I'm trying to sell this and it feels terrible. And I have all this resistance around selling this thing. Why do I not want to sell it? Or why do I not want to? You actually get to, you actually get to not do the thing. Exactly. And that was a big aha for me. Mm -hmm. That's a huge aha. Mm -hmm. Because there's always something in academic like being an academic is a job description. You have yeah. to do certain things. You're expected to go to department can't meetings. Can't outsource You're expected it. <laughs> no, you can't because it's you. You are the thing they hired. And that's true about working in a corporation sure. too. Salaried it's position even more anywhere. Unique. Yeah. Yeah. It's more unique in academia because the expected skill set is so vast. Mm. You're expected to teach, to research, to write, to manage manage yeah yep like, it's be a, a colleague all those things I, yeah be, yeah you're expected to do all those things and most of us find at least two or three of those things abhorrent mm-hmm. but we do it anyway <laughs> because we like the other things so much yeah well guess what when you're an entrepreneur you can say f it to anything no, you find abhorrent you can either outsource it mm-hmm. or just not do it no, just not do it wake up and create a different thing <laughs> That was a, yeah, that was a big, uh, last summer I was struggling. Like some, I was like, oh, I should, I should host a course creation retreat. And like, you know, as I'm hearing from my like coaches and people in my mastermind and they're like, yeah, go ahead, do it. And I like waited, I waited and I'm like, something's weird. (laughs) Why don't I want to do it? It would sell. People want it. And I was like, I don't want to show up. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like doing the one-on-one stuff. And I'm like, okay, so I will wake up and do something else. Like maybe I'll create a course or Actually, I think I came up with a different service and I actually found out I don't want to be doing deep one-on-one level work anymore. And so I think there's kind of these seasons in in business, at least in the, especially in the service industry where you're kind of selling, you know, your work and your labor in a certain way and you're producing a product for somebody. Um, you know, there are seasons and you go, okay, now I'm going to try to do a course so I don't have to do so much tight one-on-one time with somebody and have this deliverable Mm. and then oh maybe I'm now going to try events or I mean there's lots of choices but I think part of the entrepreneur thing is like you know giving it a shot and going eh that doesn't feel good I'm going to wake up and try something else and that that is unlike many other jobs that you can have to say I don't feel like doing my job description today it just doesn't happen yeah yeah. So, but with that freedom comes a lot of responsibility because sometimes you need to do it because you need to pay the bills. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yes. Actually, most of the time you need to do it. So yeah, there is this true. magical land of maybe at one point you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Um, but no, I think it's more like a self-awareness thing. It's something that I, I mean, I had self-awareness as an academic. It's definitely not something they teach. I don't know. No. It's like, the <laughs> yeah, especially when the ego no. comes in. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's more just like questioning, like, how could I be doing this better? How does this make me feel? Where's this stress coming from? Where's this anxiety coming from? It's making me not produce in my business. That's a problem. In academia, yeah, and I just, my most recent interview uh, was with a psychologist and a a counselor, and um, she works with women in academic and anxiety. And it's like, there's a lot of anxiety in academia, but you're not allowed to ask for help. Um, so that's where it's different than than business. So it's like, oh, shit, this doesn't feel good. And now I don't want to get on a sales call and I don't want to do anything, but I need to make money. So you're the source, in, in, in especially mm-hmm. in some of those early days. So you really have to be really conscious and checking in and tuning in what's not lining up that's not allowing me to do my work you know, I'm stressed, I'm this and this that doesn't feel good. And so you're it's like you're like hyper aware of that. Oh, heck yeah. No, that's very true. And the, the, 
you don't always have the choice. Sometimes you just have to push through. But once you get there, you get to start making, get there being you have income, you get to start making Mm -hmm. very, very self-aware choices, which is not a luxury afforded to academics. Academics is different. Or to lots of people. It's true. true. Lots of the workforce. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, Cool. So I would like to, I think we're both getting towards the end here. I'm tired. <laughs> Dude, it's We're three hours ahead here. It's, oh, yeah. Sh- okay, you're totally yeah. end of day. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm about to, I'm like ready to go to a rock concert. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Um, so McKenna, um, as we're kind of winding down, this has been super fun. I love like you're such a fun person to chat with and I love hearing your story. There were so many pieces I didn't realize about about your, oh, yeah. your story. Um, yeah. I'd like to hear your vision for your business, which I know is like a crazy loaded question, but like, where are you going with, with what you're up to right now? And, um, you know, how does academia fit in? How does it not, not to like <laughs> ask the big question, trying to be a thought leader, <laughs> just kidding. And your thought leader, leadership pursuit. How's that going? <laughs> My thought leadership pursuit. I want to lead thoughts around <laughs> changing people and making people better. Um, no, I'm totally kidding. Please. Like, no. Um, it, you know, I do, I really, I really don't know. And that's a terrible thing to say. No, it's not. No, um, I wish I could tell you where I feel like I'm heading. I kind of know where I'm heading right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that I love hosting thoughtful experiences for people Mm. um, and creating really thoughtful containers. And whether that's one-on-one or uh, with the music we produce or Mm -hmm. with the cooking school, I really enjoy that sense of cherishing I can bring to the table, like cherishing people and their experiences. Mm. Um, And I find that there's not enough beautiful things in the world there's a lot of like mediocre things and like really terrible things and creating really luxurious is the wrong word. Like Mm. I don't create luxury experiences. Mm. I create thoughtful experiences. So Mm -hmm. whether that's one-on-one or classes or um, events or the cooking school, it's about really looking at what I'm actually trying to have the attendees get out of it. Uh It's again, that customer journey. Yep, I'm really invested in that. And so any industry where I can get really excited about a customer's experience, like I'm mm. looking at breaking into fashion next. Oh, yeah? And nice. Yeah. I've that been working be cool. on a line for a long time, and I finally found a good designer to work with. So oh, cool. We're going to – who knows? Um, but it's about like making sure that the clients are getting what they need, not necessarily what they want. And they're being seen very, and heard. There's and a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's a – but like when people come to – with Pichun, they often want the like Julia Child experience. That is not what they get because she doesn't live there. <laughs> she has left us. Yeah. Um, her cookbook is great, and you can cook in it from her cookbook at home. So what, when you come to Le Peach, you do not get cook five recipes from Julia Child. It's a totally different experience. Mm. We're 100% recipe free. We go to really cool food spaces. We create this experience you cannot replicate mm. anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm looking. It's like, where are there places in the industries that exist where I can actually poke a hole that's really interesting? Like where I can stick my PhD dissertation chopstick into the balloon. (laughs) 
Um, and again, I'm, I look for really small market share. I'm not trying to get no, huge market yeah. share. That's never been an interest uh-huh. to my, of mine. Like I, I will build plenty of millions of dollars in my lifetime in all sorts of industries. Some businesses will be 150K a year and that'll be fine. And I can literally touch them for five hours a week. And like, it'll be my pet project. I'm cool with that. And then I'll have ind- businesses someday that'll probably be multi-million dollars that I have to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. on for a while and then don't have to at all anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. I, I'm just always interested in where I can make my indentation. Mm. And I I don't need to be the biggest, the best, the fastest, the wealthiest, the anything. Like I don't do that in my marketing. I don't spend a lot of time going like, I made this much and I did this and I did this by doing this. This quickly, like, yeah. This quickly, like I just, I'm not interested in that because that's not the point. Like I'm looking in my coaching practice, I look for people who are looking to build a business that's in integrity with their values and really focused on them as a leader, a thought leader, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it's a thing See, sometimes. it happens. It comes out. It does happen. <laughs> it does. But like, it, so that's, I guess that's the kind of shaggy dog story of my vision is I'm just looking at where I can, where I can have a tiny dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> the imagery that is coming from this episode, I feel like I'm going to need some artists to, to so I don't know. I'm just seeing like <laughs> chopsticks, like this little person inside a balloon or whatever. I don't even know. And I like literally it. they're in the balloon they're and like they're like the sticking balloon. their chopstick into it. Yeah, yeah. I totally with, see that. With like a doctoral cap on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so but good. I'm, that's literally what I'm doing is where can I make a true impact? Mm-hmm. Not the like I take a brick and throw it against a wall and boom, impact. Yeah. Like, where can I actually impact individuals, um, communities, and globally. And mm-hmm. that's like my leadership paradigm is like, there's three pillars of leadership, personal, community, and global. And uh, that like, where can I create work that has that for me? Yeah. Sometimes and so that's your I marker. Create, yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Some of the businesses I've created are solely for me. Mm-hmm. And yes, they make money, but I, I'm just doing it because it's fun. Right. And like, there's a community and a potential global quote unquote impact also, but it's really because it benefits me so much mm. personally. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think starting with us as individuals, like, I mean, I, that's what this podcast is. I'm in that stage of like, I am just enjoying, this might be selfish. I just want to talk with these people. I don't know what is happening, with it. but like on a personal level, it's feeding me. Like this is what I was yeah. missing this last year. Um, in business, as I felt like last year, I was more of an entrepreneur than I was an academic. What does that mean? Am I okay with that? Did I feel like I abandoned it or left it? I don't know. These are the conversations I'm having in my head and through my guests, <laughs> which is so um, it's fun. So yeah, building a business around what you know is feeding you or what you need in a given moment. I mean, there's so much of our lives that we live that we're not even addressing the things that we need or want or desire or for various reasons, cultural messaging, you know, lots of stuff, um, oppression, access, resources, all of that. Um, but mm-hmm. hey, when you're building a business, you know, you can and need to be the center in so many different ways. But mm-hmm. then keeping that in perspective, like where is this going globally? Where is this going, you know, locally in my in, like community around me, I think is super important. So amazing, amazing stuff, McKenna. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, I feel like I there is just such good advice and you're also hilarious and fun and animated. So I probably, <laughs> probably should have like sent out the video because she's also super fun. So I'm sure people are going to Google you <laughs> and follow you right 
She's making I'm a, a ridiculous face. I'm a um, Muppet. She's a Muppet. Um, so if you would like to follow this Muppet or find her, what I know what she's currently working with um, so or working on. So if you want to tell us, you know, where you're hanging out right now and like what's your most, um, what you're totally working on right in this moment. Um, I'm working on this event called Your Leadership Recipe Live. And it is happening in Macon, Georgia at the end of March. And it is a centered around women leadership conference that's focused on looking at these elements of leadership, the personal, the community, and the global, and how you capacitate yourself so that you can actually be successful as a leader. Love it. Um, and it's great for, it's kind of geared towards entrepreneurs, but it's not really entrepreneur specific. It's people who do entrepreneurial things. So actually academics are a good fit and yeah. especially academics who are trying to grow their careers. Um, mm -hmm. Because that requires a lot of personal leadership because the community elements aren't always in place at, yeah. because of infighting and ego and stuff and things. Um, and it's also great for folks in corporate who are, you know, kind of in the middle to upper echelons. Um, and that's kind of what I'm working on. And that's at McKennaHeld.com slash Leadership Recipe Live. Perfect. We will link to that. And if they want to message you or hang out, where are you hanging out? Facebook, Twitter? I hang out on Facebook at McKenna Held. Uh, my public page. Don't message me on my private page. I won't like that. Yeah. <laughs> my public. I'm very responsive on my public page. boundaries. People boundaries. Woo! Boundaries. <laughs> very cool. Well, thank you, and we'll drop all of that in the show notes. So that's uh, perfect. So I'm excited for you, and I look forward to watching you and your thoughts come out in leadership ways. Um, and <laughs> that makes no sense. Leadershipy ways. Leadershipy ways. Um, <laughs> She moves uh, in leadership ways. Yes, I got it. <laughs> Boom. Okay. <laughs> We're dancing over here, Lizzie's by the way. dancing. It's great. I'm dancing by myself. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. So, McKenna, thank you so much. And I will see you around. Uh, yes. This is probably not the last time. Maybe, maybe no. I'll start doing like these like little little convos around certain topics um could be kind of cool so um i heard some good stuff with us that was super fun awesome thanks if you are enjoying listening to Academics Mean Business, it would mean the world to me if you would head on over to iTunes and rate this podcast. If you're doing it on mobile, it's a little different. Just make sure you tap that lovely search magnifying glass and actually type in Academics Mean Business, and that will give you the option to write a review. You cannot do it from within the listening level of the podcast, which is kind of weird. If you're on a desktop, it might feel a little bit easier. Essentially, you need to open up iTunes, search and find the podcast. And if you go to ratings and reviews, you can write a review there. Thank you so much. That means the absolute world to me and to everyone listening, just so I know someone out there um, is enjoying this. So thank you again. And please head on over and do that for me as soon as you can. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you at the next episode.